invite you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We finally arrived at the fifth and final section, major section of the book of Hebrews. As each section in the book uh, follows the same pattern, going from doctrine to warning, uh, today it's doctrine for us uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. At the end of Hebrews chapter 10, and you can turn back there in your Bible for a moment, the author gives an exhortation. There he mixes strong words of warning, hard words of warning, uh, with uh, words of encouragement, softer words of encouragement. As you get to the end of chapter 10, his exhortation is really a call to do two things. I want you to see these in your Bible. First, it's a call to endurance. Look at chapter 10, verse 32. It says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. See the word endured there? That's what they had done in the past. But look at verse 36. You have need of endurance. Okay, there's, through repetition, the author says what you really need to do is you need to endure. He adds to that a second call in his warning, and that is a call to faith. So if you look at verses 38 and 39, you see that listed twice. Once through a quote of the Old Testament, and then once with a reflection by the author. Look at verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. The author is calling us to faith that doesn't shrink back. Verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So at the end of the last warning, the author calls them to endurance and faith. Okay? So what the next two chapters are going to be about are endurance and faith, actually in reverse order. Many of you know that Hebrews 11 is called the great faith chapter, Faith is mentioned repeatedly in chapter 11. What you might not know is that in the first half of chapter 12, there's a lot about the other call to endurance. There's a lot about endurance in chapter 12, verses 1 through 17, and that's what that's about. So, although this is going to cost me four minutes out of my 25, I want to read Hebrews 11 with you and the first three verses of chapter 12. And I want you to be looking for the words faith and endurance, or endure. Uh, Let me read them here. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that had foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and from him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland." If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would not have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites uh, and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith 
conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The word faith appears in Hebrews chapter 11 26 times in different forms. Adjective, verb, and noun forms. The words endurance occur multiple times in chapter 4, four times, and it's combined with an important kind of partner, counterpart word, the word discipline or training for endurance, seven times. We'll talk more about endurance and training later in future sermons. Today, we'll begin our look at Hebrews 11 and the author's focus on faith. Of course, the author gave us a great picture of faith at the end of chapter 10 when he contrasted it to shrinking back. That's the opposite of faith. Faith is not just a profession or an attitude. It's not just where you say, well, I, I believe there's a God. It's just a statement or an attitude. But faith is an action that compels us, that moves us forward, that changes our life. And that is what we're going to see in vivid detail in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, this morning, I have very simple goals. Okay. We're going to cover two verses. Okay, so don't panic. I only have 15 minutes left, and I know it. We're going to cover two verses. And I want to answer, not only cover those two verses where the author defines faith for us or describes it, then I also want to answer the question and deal with the question, what difference does this chapter make for me? Why should I be interested 
in learning, maybe listening to the sermon, maybe memorizing this text, asking God for more faith. Before we do these things, however, uh, this uh, whole chapter uh, is arranged in a very interesting way. Well, much ink has been spilt about how the chapter fits together. There are different ways that commentaries and scholars put it together. Um, I think there's a simple two-part outline. Okay, I think there's an introduction and conclusion in verses 1 and 2 and 39 and 40. Okay, to get the introduction and conclusion, you can see that it's marked out by the author by looking for the words commended and faith. They're in verses 1 and 2. And the words commended and faith are in verses 39 and 40. So there's a clear introduction and conclusion. And then in the heart of the letter, there is an example list. A list of examples of men and women who have the, the sort of bold faith that the author is calling his readers to. Okay, so it's just a simple outline. Now when you look at the example list, people organize this in all kinds of different ways. Uh... Some people prefer topical outlines of this section. And I, I, I think I've read about everything you can imagine. Some outlines are topical and they, they are alliterated. Okay, so they all start with like R or B or C. You know, like the 13 C's, you know, they see down here. And some of those are pretty creative. There's one that I saw recently that was an acrostic. Okay, an acrostic is where, you know, the first letters of your outline spell out a word, and the word was faithful. So, I, well, that's really creative. I don't know how accurate it was uh, to the passage. So, but some people organize it topically. Some people organize this chapter uh, uh, through a chiasm. You say, I don't know what a chiasm is. Uh, I say, don't worry too much about it. But what they're doing is they're saying, okay, the whole thing is set up as this like massive digression to the heart of the letter in the middle. And that verse 1 is similar to verse 40, and then 2 and 39 and 3 and 38, and it's coming down to this point. It's like this arrow. Okay, I think, again, maybe just a bit too creative. I think it's a simple outline. I think the outline is canonical. That is, it follows the Scriptures Throughout, there, there are 18 men and women named as examples of faith in this chapter. And when I looked at them this week, I realized that every one of those 18 are in order. They're in an order, and it follows the order of your Bible. So I want you to see where this biblical theological approach to faith starts. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Where does this start? By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. It starts with Genesis 1.1. Okay? And you just have to trust me for the time being. We'll, we'll get into it more later. Then it goes down through the whole Old Testament, through Malachi, through the prophets. Okay? And I think it actually ends in a place that we wouldn't even suspect. I think this example list ends in chapter 12 and verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the author is telling the story of Scripture, and he goes from, I should do it this way, from creation to the cross. Ever heard that before? 
one where some preachers get this creative, okay, I'm going to tell the story from creation to the cross. Actually, this goes from creation to the exaltation. Right hand of the throne of God. So it's a canonical order. That's how he sets it up. Now let's look at the introduction, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. In verses 1 and 2, the author is defining or describing faith. Now, if you were to ask unbelievers to define faith, you would find all sorts of answers, some very revealing definitions. Nothing draws the ridicule and mockery of the world more than our faith. That is because many, many people in this world believe faith is the height of ignorance and weakness. They think we're weak for our faith in Jesus Christ. And so let's just momentarily reflect on what some of the world would, how they would define faith. Here's an example that comes from Frederick Nietzsche. He was a German atheist philosopher. This is what Nietzsche says faith is. He says faith means not wanting to know what is true. Add to this as well the reflection of a well-known American atheist. He defines faith this way. Faith may be defined briefly as an illogical belief in the occurrence of the improbable. Okay, so that's how the intellectuals define and evaluate faith. But what do the scriptures say? What do the scriptures say? And verse 1 is how the author describes it. He describes it with two phrases that are a bit challenging, but very important. First, he says, if you want to know what faith is, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The word assurance could be translated, and in some translations you might have in front of you there, could be translated, it's the evidence or the substance in some translations of things hoped for. But what does that mean? What is the substance of things hoped for? Let me start with two biblical scholars who talk about this first phrase and what they think that it means. One said, faith is living as if the things hoped for are real. That's what faith is. That's what him, it's the substance of things, it's the substance of things hoped for. It's living as if the things we're hoping for are real. That's what faith looks like. Another scholar said it this way, faith bestows upon the object of hope a present reality. That's what faith is. Got these things in our future, the reward, the hope, these things in Jesus and what faith is. It takes those things and it puts them in the present. And it makes it apply to the way we live our lives today. And so faith is the present substance or evidence in our lives of future realities. 
I think a better way to perhaps see this is to just look at Hebrews 11 and look for examples of people who did this. And I'll just point out a few very quickly. Look in your Bible, verse 7. Noah. It says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Here, Noah was warned by God about future unseen things. Noah had never seen a flood before. Matter of fact, he had never even seen rain before. Yet, right, he takes his future things and he puts them into his present life. It says, yet in reverence, he built an ark. That's what faith looks like. Living in the present in light of the future events that are ours in Christ. The future things are ours in Christ. Then look at verse 22. Look at Joseph. I think you see this here. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Okay, so Joseph is a dying man on his deathbed, and he looks around, and he gives people instructions about what to do with his bones when God does fulfill his promise, and they uh, are able to exit out of Israel. That's what faith looks like. Dying men and women grab hold of the future and know it to be true. Because God said it. Or think of Moses, verses 24 through 28. We won't read them, but Moses, we learn in this text, we read it already, he left the fleeting pleasures of sin and the treasures of Egypt in Pharaoh's house to lead the people of Israel in the wilderness because, the text says, and in these two phrases that just struck me this week, because he was looking for the reward. Makes no sense to leave Egypt and Pharaoh's household and the pleasures and the treasures there. But he was looking for the future reward, so it changed his life. Love the phrase as well, it just struck me this week about Moses. He did this because he was seeing him who was invisible. Men and women, that is what faith looks like it's living. As if the future is real. Faith is the present substance of future eternal things in our lives. Now, second way he describes this, verse 1, is he says faith is the conviction of things not seen. Some translations call the word conviction, evidence, or proof of things unseen. But again, it's a hard phrase to consider. What does it mean? Well, what's apparent here is that the author is describing faith as being able to see unseen things. Perhaps another illustration will help us here. Okay. This illustration is primarily for the children, and it will probably wake up some adults as well. If you've ever seen these books before uh, that uh, have a hidden picture behind another image, okay, like this one. This is an optical illusion. So supposedly, 
if you look at this thing long enough or hard enough or sideways enough or something, you should be able to see behind it a deer with butterflies. Okay, so kids, can you see that? As they're looking at it, let me just make a confession to you. I can never see these things. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter what I do. I squint. I, uh, you know, I try to, like, focus beyond the book thing. You know, so I'm looking three rooms down there. I got the book right here. Nothing. I can look at one little pixel in this picture and stare at it with intensity. I never see anything. I'm incapable of seeing the image beyond the surface. Or this one. Now, this one, I chose it because I can kind of see something. Okay, uh, this is medical staff, of course. There's supposedly medical staffs going through the center of this or something. I can see like a little stick and some swirly things, but as hard as I try, I can never see those wings or that eagle or whatever that is at the top. Perhaps you can. Men and women unconvinced that many of us are blind to the deeper spiritual realities and values at play in our lives. And so let me ask you this. Do you normally consider how eternal things should impact the way you live and your life choices? Do you? That's what faith does. It's the present conviction or evidence about the future in our life today. Faith changes the way we live. And the greater our faith, the more it impacts our life goals and values. The lesser the faith, the fewer ways it affects anything about us at all. So as we close, I would say, may God give us bold, strong faith in Christ that does not shrink back, but changes the way we live. Let me make two applications to our church today, and these are new for you today than what I gave the church last night. First, if you have noticed, or if you haven't noticed, we are living in a pandemic. It's quite an interesting time for us, and to be honest with you, Christians are responding to it in all sorts of different ways. By bold faith, I am not talking about walking around, licking doorknobs, and claiming that you have the faith to prevent you from sickness. No, wisdom might dictate that you would show some level of caution or restraint in the midst of a pandemic. But we must also not be driven by fear during this time either. Don't be fearful, right? We should demonstrate wisdom and faith during this time. God is in control. God knows all about this virus. Okay? He 
He knew all of my days before I was even born. He's got this virus. He's sovereign over it. Demonstrate wisdom and faith. But let me take this application in a different direction before I get in trouble. Okay. By bold faith, I am talking about our commitment to live in light of eternity and to take the gospel to the world. Okay? To places like some of our missionaries are going, Afghanistan and Pakistan where people don't know anything or much at all about Jesus, that's bold faith. That's not shrinking back. You see, faith is the sort of gutsy, risk-taking, wartime boldness that casts off the fleeting pleasures of this world or the the best luxuries that this earth has to give to us, cast them off for the better and abiding possession of heaven. That, That sort of faith might just compel you to go to the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I think This sort of bold faith is also the sort of things that should strengthen our backs and quicken our strides as members of Colonial Baptist Church to walk across our yard or our street to go and tell our neighbor about Jesus Christ. That, men and women, is bold faith too. People around us in our city here need to know Jesus as well. I mean, don't think that something magical would happen to you if you stepped off of a plane in Ethiopia or Africa or something, and then you would be able to tell people about Jesus. No, if if you are hiding in your living rooms now in America, you'll hide in your living room or your tent or whatever it is in Africa or Ethiopia or China or wherever you are. Let your faith speaks. That's what faith does. It's not just an attitude. Well, I believe in God. It changes you. It changes how we live. So as we close, I ask, where are the young men and women who will go into this world with radical faith? Young people who will have risky, outlandish plans for what God might do through their life with the gospel. I mean, plans that make other people uncomfortable. Or other teens in youth group, like, or other adults even in church. I mean, you, you want to go with the gospel to Tanzania? I mean, like, shouldn't you have a, a, a second plan? Should you do something else with your talents? Maybe learn a little business in case that thing doesn't work out for you? So young people, if you have this sort of bold, resolute faith in Jesus Christ, don't be surprised if people look at you as if you're strange. You know, taking future things and putting them in your present. I don't think it's strange. I was reading this week in the book of Acts, in Acts 7, and Stephen, remember the first martyr of the church after Christ? Stephen. He is bold in his final sermon. 
He's anointed by God to the place where his face is shining like an angel. Okay? And how did the religious elect respond to him? They killed him. Why? Because they couldn't handle his zeal and faith in Jesus Christ. And so I pray that our church is a church where young people have outlandish plans for how God can use their life with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I ask you as well, where, where are the elderly men and women who will not even consider the American dream because the hope of heaven fills their eyes? Elderly people who don't collect cars and trucks and houses, but who invest their time, their days and their nights and their resources to further the gospel while they still have time and health. Elderly saints who turn off their TVs and who get on their knees and pray that God would send a spiritual renewal across the world. And that God would send out missionaries from Colonial Baptist Church. Just in case you think I'm picking on every one of you, I close by asking this question and ask you for prayer. Where are the pastors, the preachers, and Christian workers who will have radical, bold faith in Christ that not only lifts them up when they're preaching in the pulpit, but who empowers them as they walk through the streets and the restaurants and the shops and the homes in their cities. So as we close, we must ask God to do a work in our lives through Hebrews 11. Faith changes you. Will you pray with me? that God will give you increased faith as a result of these weeks. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Dear Father, we ask you to forgive our regular unbelief at home, school, work, perhaps even at this gathering today. Lord, please increase our faith in accordance with and for your own good pleasure in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.